Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast, where we break down the practical applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, executive and life coach Meredith Oak, with a quick reminder that podcasts are conversations, not consultations. But if you're looking for one of those, do check out our free practitioner directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. Okay, so you know how in the intro to this podcast, I say that we start with light, healthy light habits and go wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. Well, today the quantum superhighway is taking us to an entirely new dimension. Uh, we have Carrie Bennett here, who's one of our favorite podcast guests, and she is going to explain why it's not just about circadian rhythm, it's not just about structured water. It's also about a whole new medium that we all exist in called ether. This is really, really interesting. And I think one of the most important episodes that we've ever done, because the scientific explanation for what ether is and why it exists, and Carrie makes a very compelling case that it exists, um, is really a bridge between physical healing and energetic healing and spiritual healing and all of the things that we have known in our bodies and in our hearts to be true, but somehow lacked a complete scientific explanation, right? Like the mechanism wasn't there and it's starting to emerge. So this is really, really exciting. And I'm not going to say anymore. You just jump in and listen to the episode with Carrie. And of course, follow her uh, on Instagram at Carrie B. Wellness and go to her website, CarrieBWellness.com. She has lots and lots of information there for practical health and healing through the quantum lens. Uh, but today we go on a journey. Enjoy. All right, Carrie Bennett, welcome back to Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. Thanks, Meredith. I always love chatting with you. So thank okay. you. Thank you. Same here. I am super excited for this topic. Um, and I just want to, I want to invite everyone to come on this journey with us uh, because we're covering ether. And I know that word can, dun, dun, if that's dun. one of those words where you have no idea how it's going to land, right? Like it might be mean one thing to one person and something completely different to someone else. So that's just for everyone. So, you know, that's where we're headed, but it, that's not where we're going to start. We're going to start with this idea of all of all of this research and knowledge that is available and all the evidence that is piled up that is still somehow not permeated into a general awareness, even within the medical and alternative health communities. And so the first example, let's look at circadian biology. Um, it really came home to me when I interviewed Dr. Moore Eden. He's like, yeah, there's like 90,000 papers in PubMed on this. And I was like, oh yeah, there are. <laughs> and yet it's still, it's getting there, but it's still sort of, it's not something that people think like, okay, we need to take care of. We got to get you hydrated. We got to get you well-nourished. We got to get your light right. It's like not on the list. So could you just talk about that for a sec, Carrie? Well, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, I think we're, we've, taken for granted, I think mainstream medicine has taken for granted the fact that light matters at all in any capacity except for vitamin D, right? We recognize that sunlight makes vitamin D and, you know, supposedly there's a big association between vitamin D deficiency and inflammatory conditions. And so then I think they found a workaround with that in order to be able to say, okay, take your vitamin D supplement. And so, you know, so they didn't, we didn't even prioritize light with that because we still have this idea that light, we fear light, right? We don't think that the artificial stuff is doing anything bad for us and we're afraid of the real thing. And so it's really easy to kind of sweep it under the rug because I don't think most practitioners feel equipped to, to maybe, um, I don't want to say confront clients or patients, but really deeply explain to clients and patients what's going on uh, with their circadian rhythms, with the LED lights that can, you know, tank their melatonin, with the fact that we need UV light for so many physiological reasons. And um, and so it's easier just to kind of say, mm, yeah, let's just kind of, let's just focus on the things that I think are more mainstream accepted, which in functional medicine we know is 
diet and gut health and protocols and elimination diets and, and things like that and supplements. Right. And so it's like, that is just very, very well accepted. No one blinks an eye at a, a list of 10 to 20 supplements, <laughs> Whereas, you know, they're going to look at you like you're crazy if, you, if you're telling them that watching TV at night before bedtime is really damaging to their health. Right. Even though the evidence to support that is at Massive. this point irrefutable. It's, like it's, com the, yeah, yeah, it's completely irrefutable. I, I mean, it just it just takes someone to literally go to PubMed and type in circadian rhythm and then fill in the blank. You could you put any disease name after that, or put just simply mitochondrial dysfunction or hormone imbalance, and you're like like you said with with Dr. Mark Moreed, like there's uh, tens of thousands of these articles out there, and so it's not for a lack of evidence. It's just because it's more convenient. That's what happens, right? That uh, the more <laughs> the more I kind of get into the the these rabbit holes, the more I realize it's not that the evidence is scant. It's that it's inconvenient for people to have to kind of rewrite textbooks. It's inconvenient for people to have to change their, you know, what their research line is and apply for new funding to, to, to you know, you know, for funding for water, right? And frankly, the funding isn't going to be there for these things because sunlight is free. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of things at play. But if someone is like, well, I, I want a science-based, evidence-based you know, give me something that's evidence-based. It's like, just go to the database of all the published research and you'll see a massive amount of evidence. It is irrefutable. And when you look at it just from a, just a logical perspective, that's where you're like, okay, the evidence is there, but of course light matters, right? Because of course, every living creature has dealt with these like light cycles and these rhythms. So then again, you can just view it from that common sense perspective and see how far we've gotten away from that. And both of those things just, I mean, it's obvious to those of us who have done the research and, and know this, um, but yeah, it's really convenient to just kind of sweep it under the rug. Right. And the reason I wanted to talk about that for a minute is because we are, we're going to, you know, we're going through <laughs> through a process today. We're going on a journey. And I think it's really important just to remind ourselves and remind our listeners at each step of the way that just because something isn't accepted mainstream doesn't mean it isn't true and doesn't mean there isn't evidence for it. And I think circadian rhythm is just such a perfect, perfect example of that. Um, okay. So there are, you know, as we've just gone over, there's tons and tons and tons of research on circadian rhythm by mainstream scientists. Uh, the conclusion is irrefutable. It matters to every single life process in the body. If we mess with it, we are leading ourselves to some kind of disease. Okay. So then we take it in our world a step further, which those scientists do not, which is to take it into the quantum realm and be like, okay, so if light is so important to our bodies, what's going on? What's the deeper uh, the deeper biology at play here that we could be understanding? You don't have to understand quantum biology to get circadian biology, but inquiring minds like yours want to know. So could you talk about where we're sort of at with the research um, on the theory that we are quantum biologic systems, not biochemical systems, and sort of where things are at with that? Yeah, you know, I I honestly think it, even though quantum biology sounds intimidating, the interaction is very simple or what's happening, what's at play is very simple. And there is a deep interaction between light and the water network of our body. And you know, the water in our body being this uh this basically receiver for all sorts of information, energy and information, including photonic energy and information, um, to the extent that that uh, the the light in our environment basically informs our body of different, like you know, different uh, uh, processes that it needs to initiate, certain things it doesn't need to initiate, things it needs to shut down. So certain hormones that need to be made in the morning, certain hormones that need to be shut down at night, repair processes that need to turn on at night versus they can they can be put at rest. All of that is really happening through the interaction between light and water. And then we take that a step further when looking into Jerry Pollack's work, and we recognize that even, even beyond signaling and those sorts of cues, 
the water actually receives the certain wavelengths of light and actually can expand itself uh, and, and into, into a battery of energy, right? It can actually rearrange itself to form, to form potential energy inside of our body. So water, light, light and water are everything when it comes to human health. And I think that really what hap has happened over the course of the past hundred years or so uh, of biochemical research is that it became very, uh, became very convoluted in the mechanisms and like this chemical, it needs to interact, like what, where is this chemical going? How's it, how is it transforming? What pathway is it initially? Like it, the, the biochemistry became so complex and so convoluted. And, and frankly, I, lo I loved studying it in college, but in the grand scheme of things, as a practitioner, and in terms of its its ability to advance medicine in any capacity and, and help you and helps humans live healthier lives, it's done absolutely nothing. And so while uh, while the research loves to kind of get to silo themselves and and to say, okay, I want to know what's happening inside of this cell when calcium enters and which pathway it kicks off, um, and all, there's so many random like a lot of details that have been supposedly clarified in the scientific literature. Um, it, it explains nothing about the body, really, uh, from like the holistic perspective of what's happening. And beyond that, it makes it very confusing for, for the average person to, to understand how to take care of our take care of their bodies as well. And so we then outsource um, our healing, our health to various people and organizations to say, okay, because it's obviously way too complex and convoluted for me to understand. So I need to I need to go to the expert. Um, when really, if you can understand it from this perspective of light and water, you know, and how how those interactions really support everything in our body, it becomes it becomes really empowering for the client and patient to be able to take on their own healing uh, into their own into their own hands, basically. Yes, for sure. And it's also been the way that I think, you know, investment banks take advantage of the complexity of the financial world. I, I feel like some companies have taken advantage of the complexity of the biochemical world, right? And you listen oh. to a podcast and they're like, oh, we found out that this supplement and this pathway, and then they talk all about what that particular supplement does with that particular pathway. And you leave with the impression that you have to start taking that supplement. <laughs> right. It's like, right. maybe, maybe, like you know, so I see what you're saying. And so just say a little bit more when you say biochemistry has done nothing, like what, what's the point of it? Like, how it how has it like what's its usefulness in biochemistry is biochemistry is like a recording a recording or a it's like it's like evidence basically of what's already happened at the biophysics level at the at the quantum biology level biochemistry is slow right biochemical reactions are very slow compared to the signaling that needs to happen to run the complex organism that is the human body and so if we if if <laughs> it's really funny that i used to believe that a, a hormone had to get produced in a gland and get into my bloodstream and then find the receptor on the surface of my cell, dock with that receptor to cause a reaction. Like, how, how, I mean, how could that work? And how could we survive if that was the case? Um, and so now we realize that while those things do happen and we can track biochemistry, we can track hormone levels, that is like tracking kind of the slow stuff. It's like, yes, that's happening, but that's not what initiated the signal. And that's not ultimately how the body communicates. And so biochemistry um, is interesting. And if you like to kind of get into those details and study it, it, it's there, but it's not really truly understanding the speed at which the body operates and the communication system that really is at play, which is the sub molecular communication at quantum level. Okay. So it's sort of like, like the printout at the end telling yeah. you what's just happened. Well, <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. Whereas from the quantum perspective, we're like engaging with what's happening totally. as it's happening. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Right. You know, electron flow from the earth instant is instantaneous light interaction with, with the skin, with the eyes, with the water network in our body. It's instantaneous. We're not waiting for random collision biochemistry. Um, to, to, to do its thing before we get those effects. And so I think a lot has been assumed in the biochemistry world. Um, and I think it's flawed. And I think also with biochemistry, the issue 
is that uh, most biochemistry was studied without understanding the fact that every molecule is surrounded by a very key hydration shell of water, structured water, that really is what influences its its dynamics. And so now actually you'll you'll look into the literature within the past 10 years or so and you'll see that they're doing simulations, molecular simu simulations adding the water molecules back in. Mm. And, but still you're just like it's it's just not I just don't think that we really have any legitimate evidence from biochemistry because it's it's ignored it's been ignored and they or they've ignored the water act aspect of uh that surrounds each molecule and is really where the, the action takes place. Okay, so let's dive into that water. Okay. Um, you you mentioned a few minutes ago that we're not talking about regular water. We're talking about structured water, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, largely the work of Gerald Pollack. And in the quantum biologic world, because again, I'm not sure if Gerald Pollack has bought into the quantum biology model or not, but his work has produced the this understanding of water and light. And when you look at how it interacts with light, that completely redefines how we think about water and its purpose in our body. Well, right. So like, you know, and, and Gerald, Gerald Pollack's work is great because what he did was he organized a lot of research into what I think is a very easy to read book. I'm not gonna say easy to read, like, you know, it, but, yeah. it, but, but a much easier to read book than say a physics textbook, let's say. Yeah. And so I, I do think uh, uh, Jer Jerry's work um, has really brought our understanding of water forward a whole heck of a lot. But that being said, he's not the he's not the only one either. And I want to I do want to highlight the fact that one of the issues and why I think water hasn't been as well understood over the course of the past 30 years that there really is some key research is because, again, people people didn't have a common language. So you'll find some people in, in the research referring to it as interfacial water. You'll have some people referring to it as biological water, coherent water, structured water. Uh, uh, Jerry Pollack calls it easy or exclusion zone water. Um, uh, Del Gudici and Preparata called it the quantum electrodynamics of water, co uh, you know, uh, coherent domains in water. They're all speaking about the same thing, right? But because right. of that... We, they, we haven't been able to really read the literature and say, uh, and it just wasn't clear. It wasn't a clear concept. But now I think it's becoming more and more clear that there is a different type of water that lives inside of us. And Dr. Pollock really is the one who highlighted that the best because he showed that when water contacts a, a hydrophilic, which is just a water loving surface, all almost all biological surfaces are, are water loving, that the water molecules spontaneously rearrange themselves into a very ordered format. And so they arrange themselves into a structure that under a microscope, if I were to look at it really, really closely under a, a quantum molecular microscope, it would look like I was almost looking at a crystal. And crystals, mm -hmm. if you picture crystals under a microscope, the, the way that the atoms are arranged, it's very ordered and patterned and structured. Whereas if we were to look at a typical liquid glass of water, we would see these water molecules, these H2O molecules, they're there, but there's no real arrangement to them. And they move, they're very fluid. Some They're gonna bond here and then here, they're gonna move around. And so his research did a great job for, to show us that, that the, the water molecules inside of the body are mostly in this beautifully structured pattern that we would call liquid crystalline water um, as mm. well. And that gives the water special properties. So when water is structured and arranged in this way, it helps to provide energy for the body. Uh, we can go into that if you want. But when water is structured and arranged this way in a liquid crystal, liquid crystals are antenna. And this is just, that's not woo or esoteric. That's, there's physics, right? There's a whole line of physics yeah. that studies the behavior of liquid crystals. Um, liquid crystals can store data. They can receive information. They can transduce information. Um, this liquid crystalline water is a conduit for, for quantum energy flow. So things like electrons and protons uh, that you can, can flow. And so now that we know that this water is, has these really special properties, it's just so, it's just so, um, 
I think it's really easy to see how if we've omitted these properties of water that, that are around every protein, every every um, biomolecule, every hormone, every receptor in the body, if we've ignored that, then we have not studied water and these hormones and molecules as they would be behaving in the human body, right? We've just studied them in isolation and we've completely ignored how truly intelligent and important that water is inside of us. Wow. And so then the the clinical conclusions that we draw from studying things in isolation are going to be, by definition, incomplete. Uh, they kind of have <laughs> to be, right? Anything in isolation, that's the reductionist approach just hasn't worked, right? The idea, yeah. you know, and then the specialization in medicine really hasn't hasn't done a heck, whole heck of a lot. Well, while I want a neurosurgeon to do neurosurgery, right? And while <laughs> I would want a dentist to, to, to work on my teeth, I think we've really become, uh, the body's become just a bunch of parts. And yeah. if that part has a symptom, we send someone to a specialist there, but no one really understands the interconnectedness. It's the water, right? So right. as I said before, that water, it's around every protein inside every cell, around every um, uh, piece of DNA in the body, around every mitochondria, and around uh, inside of the cells, outside of the cells, lining all of the blood. I mean, it's everywhere, meaning really nothing is happening in the body um, without that water being involved. And that water provides this continuous web, this continuous conduit through which a, a body-wide communication can take place. So it legitimately is why this finger always knows what's happening in this part of my brain, which always knows what's happening in my big toe, because there is a medium that connects it all through which they can communicate. Okay. So we are basically a liquid crystal that serves as an antenna that stores memory mm -hmm. and that is a quantum signaling super highway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the body really, okay. so here, the, the, the main thing to recognize is um, the body doesn't operate with chemistry. It operates with vibration, with, 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 with oscillation. That's even how the suprachiasmatic nucleus works, right? For our circadian rhythm. And so you have to have a medium to receive that vibration. And that vi a vibration, just like different wavelengths of light, contain different energy and information that the body can interpret. Every single vibration also contains energy and information that my body can interpret and utilize in real time. And so that's what's happening inside of my body. The water is the receiver of that vibrational information, whether it's visible light or beyond the visible spectrum, or whether mm -hmm. it's sound vibration, whether it's a, a biomolecule that, because all molecules vibrate as well, right? We, if we studied the, if we studied the vibrational spectrum, and maybe the light emitted by these molecules, it would be a we would have gone a completely different way in terms of understanding human physiology. Uh, we focus too much too much on the X's and the O's, um, but right. really the water is receiving all sorts of vibrations and interpreting that, and then the body can adapt in real time because it knows uh, the vibration is the language of the universe. Right? The the body knows what to do with that information. So that and that's why say sunlight is so important because mm -hmm. that is a natural vibration that our body is programmed to receive so that it harmonizes us. Whereas something that humanity created <laughs> without mm -hmm. this understanding, like, uh, you know, our, our Wi-Fi or the, whatever's coming out of our cell phones, like that's causing, uh, a disharmonious response within this liquid crystal antenna. Yeah, absolutely. Because okay. what I what I want people I do what I want people to understand about these vibrations is you cannot separate the energy or the information that's contained in them. And so what I mean by that is like um you know, ultraviolet light has a certain energy intensity to it. And the body also understands the information that's embedded in that ultraviolet light, which is able to transform neurochemistry, for example, in our brain, you know, serotonin, dopamine, those sorts of things. In the same way as a the, that radio station over there that is sending out a signal that could be picked up by my radio, while my radio interprets it as talk FM, my body is picking that up. It does. It's never been exposed to talk FM. Talk FM is does not exist in human history, right? Right. And so and so, my body is picking up 
that in the information and the energy, and both of them are foreign. They're both confusing and chaotic. So yes, a radio frequency wave is it, it, in and of itself, the energy is confusing, but so is the information that's embedded in it is also confusing to my body. And that just really makes for um, physiology that can't function at its best because there's kind of so much noise and static that the body's not used to. So it's a lot harder for us as humans to thrive in a modern environment because of how much chaos those those foreign frequencies are are imparting on us. Right. And so this is why sunlight, grounding, high quality water, we want it, we have to intentionally each day put ourselves in a situation where our body can at least catch up on its, what it's supposed to be receiving. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So we're not, it's just, it's not like a hundred percent stress signals. Okay. All right. So we're getting, we're getting to the ether now. You and- I think a good way in. So you were talking about how the water in our bodies, which we now understand to be this fourth phase of water, uh, a form of liquid crystal, is the medium through which the frequencies in our environment communicate, so to speak, with our with our biological systems. And those light waves, those radio waves, all of those waves require a medium. And for the humans, it's the liquid crystal water. So <clears throat> could you, let's start there, talk a little bit about how water's the medium. Sure. And then we can, and then let's, let's, let's segue into the ether. Yeah, sure. So like, this this was when I started studying quantum biology, I really didn't have any concept of the ether, right? Like I had heard of the word ether before, um, but didn't think very much of it. Um, but all of a sudden, when I realized <laughs> that all waves require a medium to propagate, meaning you can't have waves in water without the water. You can't have sound waves without air or even water because water can conduct it, right? You need a medium through which waves move. And so light also is a wave and, you know, it, it's an electromagnetic frequency. Yet somehow in the past hundred years or so of physics, they said that light is the only wave that doesn't require a medium. And all, that just didn't make sense to me. Um, and so that that's that's was really, really confusing. It's like, wait, why do why do we have what's called the quantum vacuum, right? right? They really they really started labeling it things that really implied emptiness and void, right? They really wanted to hammer it home that there was there was nothingness and light could travel through nothingness and propagate without any medium. And that just really bothered me. And so that's right. I think where I started my because they're saying like the all these other kind of waves, they require a medium, mm -hmm. whether it's air or water, or um, I think you were telling me at another point, like the earth for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but then they got to light and they're like, and it's like, mm, except light, it can travel in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. sort of that's the story. Well, that's the story. And okay. <laughs> and if, if you kind of rewind it, you'll. I have a feeling there, you know, if you kind of look at the late, the late 1800s is when they, when they basically dropped the concept of the ether, the okay. ether had been around for thousands of years beforehand. And I think a couple of things happened in the late 1800s. We can talk about a specific experiment um, that, that really, they say debunked the ether, but also that was a time when they really wanted to start to separate spirituality from science. Right. And ether, um, ethers, ether has had probably more than a hundred, but at least a hundred names that I could probably list that it's been called a hundred different things, right? Depending on where one, where one lived, what one's religious beliefs were, spiritual beliefs were. Um, so the ether has been called things like uh, the Akashic Record, Chi, Prana, um, it's been called consciousness, God, 
Allah, the divine source energy, right? It's been called so many different things. Um, and I think a lot of those, at least prior to what we have, we have modern words that, were, that are starting to come become in vogue in physics again. Um, but I think prior to these more recent words, all these words had a very spiritual or religious connotation to them. And I think there was a really uh, a desire to make science more you know, uh, hardcore, if you will, like we, we, yeah. we have to separate science and spirituality. And so in the late 1800s, there was an experiment that was conducted that tried to measure the ether. Now, mind you, we don't have any modern devices in this day and age to, that actually can measure the ether. And so back then they decided to see if they could measure something called ether drift. And I'm not gonna get into the, um, the nitty gritty details of this experiment, but it's called the Mickelson-Morley experiment. And it was conducted in 1887. And basically it concluded that they couldn't measure any ether drift or any ether effect. And so because of that, that was the conclusive experiment. The ether okay. died in 1887. And I mean, even though just you know a few years later, the experiment was repeated better with a slightly different sort of sensing tool and it showed, but wait, there could be something here. It was dropped, uh, you know, and then comes Einstein, which I think he meant well, but I don't think he was accurate when he, uh, he further agreed that there was no ether, so. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. So what, when he's saying, no, there is no ether, what is he saying? Like, what is he saying doesn't exist? What are they pushing back on? And what did that Mickelson experiment want to disprove? They wanted to disprove that there was not a medium that that light didn't need a medium through which to propagate basically. So what was, what was happening at that point in, in physics was the idea that, okay, light moves through the ether, right? So, so the medium for light to travel is the ether. And, you know, the ether was very hard to model in mathematics equations and physicists love to be able to model their stuff with math or prove their concepts with mathematics. And it was very difficult for them to do so. And so it was, it was convenient for uh, physicists at the time to really jump on to the fact that they could get rid of the ether. They didn't have to worry about accounting for the ether in any of their equations. And so uh, I think everyone, they were all really ready for the fact that the ether, the ether didn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, okay. We don't have to account for the ether. And so that's what it was. They basically said, they basically went from the ether being this pervasive medium through which light travels to, oh, nope, it doesn't exist at all. And actually light can travel through a vacuum. Okay. So um just to just to unpack Einstein for another second. So what what was he correct about? Like I'm just he trying to correct. wrap I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Because we're was, we're so, like bumping up against a in, whole lot here. <laughs> well listen, because Einstein I think is a very well respected person in a lot of ways. But um but uh, Einstein in nineteen oh five, Einstein developed his uh, theory of general relativity, right? Mm -hmm. Which basically figured out, he figured out how to try to describe this space, you know, this, this, this vacuum, you know, without it being the ether, he just called it, you know, space time, right? And said it was curved, like he, he gave a lot of qualities to it. Um, and I think it was well-intentioned. However, as soon as Einstein jumped onto the fact that there was no ether, um, all the other physicists did as well. And it's very interesting because he tried over the course of 15 years to really like hammer out the details of his theories of special and general relativity. And he knew that something was missing. So in 1920, he gave a lecture at Leiden University that basically it, point blank, it, sta it stated there has to be an ether. No physicist picked it up. No physicists were like, oh yeah, let's bring back the ether because it was so much easier to do physics without the ether, right? The, to do the math without the ether. And so, um, and I mean, potentially the spiritual thing too. So I would say that, uh, you know, that Einstein, I think he was trying to kind of reconcile what was going on with with light and with how light moves and things without the ether, but with his with his theories. But he, even he admitted that that was wrong, right? And the ether does right. exist. And moving forward, if we're going to understand anything about light and about how light interacts and moves, we have to bring back the ether. 
sadly, it's only been within the past couple of decades or so that people started have started tiptoeing in that direction. Right. Okay. So, because Einstein pushed back pretty hard on the idea of quantum physics. Like he, that was like a quite famous dialogue. He, Einstein, Einstein, so Einstein didn't have a concept for spooky action at a distance, right? So basically the fact that, you know, I can affect something very far away because it's entangled. There was no medium through which there could be a connection. So he called it spooky action at a distance. And so that's really why he, you know, he was just like, wait a second, what is going on? I don't want anything to do with that. Or I, I want to, I kind of want to maybe make fun of it a little bit. And now we know that, of course, there's the ability to do things like distance healing because of the fact that there's a medium that connects us all. But that was something that, I mean, that's something that I don't think he, uh, it took him a while to recognize that there, that was a possibility. Okay. So, um, so we're landing in a place where we are starting to agree or perhaps become curious about the fact that there is an ether. The, the quantum physicists have acknowledged that this can't all be happening in a vacuum. They're calling it, is it the zero point field? Is that They're what they would? It, yeah. That would be like the science version of ether. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. And I remember, you know, yes, it, it is still a little fringe though too. But the the research that really kind of brought that back was they basically tried to measure if there was any energy energy fluctuations or any vibration in a in an, a space that was cool to absolute zero, right? To, so they basically um, cooling something, cooling an area to a temperature in which supposedly all molecular vibrations, all vibrations should freeze, right? There should be no vibrations that could be picked up and they still picked it up. So they said, wait a second, okay, there is something in space, um, in this space that we have to start to account for. So that's why they called it zero. They, they cool things to absolute zero. So they called it zero point energy. That's still there. It's like this residual energy that's still there or the zero point field or the Higgs field it's been called. Um, but no one is willing to call it the ether. And to be honest, to be fair though, um, I do think there's some great researchers in this field like Nassim Haramein, but I do, I think, I don't think he'd be getting, I don't think any of them would get funding if they started calling yeah. it the ether, right? So it's like, right. they're, they're talking exactly about the ether, but perhaps they're using this newer term for it because they want to still be able to do research to, to continue to investigate what they're finding. Right. So much like the water piece, it's yeah. got so many different names. It's hard to even know what, uh, coherent or common understanding is at this point because people are calling it different things. Okay. So from your perspective, because you, I was going to say you study everything. I don't know if that's possible, but it, you're, you're pretty close. <laughs> you study almost, you study a lot of things. Okay. People carries a gift to you. You need to listen. Okay. So how would you explain what the ether is? And let's just say you're you know, the, in the same way we talked about structured water, we're talking easy zone water, we're talking structured water, we're talking biological water. It's all words for the same thing. What is that thing? So with the ether, all these different words coming together to explain, to say that we exist in a medium that we can't see, we can't discern through our senses, but it's there. So what, what are we, what is it? Yeah, that, that's a great, that, okay. That's a great entry point. So step one, I want people to think about what fish would sense in the ocean, right? right? They're swimming through something, but I don't think, now I've never been a fish, but I don't think they're actually recognizing that this is the, the medium, right? The medium through which they're swimming. And so we have to kind of view it the same way. What we feel as empty space around us really is full. It's full of this finest, finest level of fluctuation. And so to get a little bit more I think to, to kind of wrap, like bring it home for people, let's talk about the scale at which we're describing this, this field that's around us, this ether. And it is the fact that if we were to take an atom and if we were to blow an atom up until it was the size of a football field, one atom, the size of a football field, 
we would have a nucleus that was about the size of a quarter at the 50 yard line. And then we would have a fly, which was the electron, right? Buzzing around the outside of the stadium. And the rest would be filled with this substance that we call the ether. So it's not empty. Wow. It's that's the scale, right? So we're talking about so, we're, this fist. It is a fluid. So I'll talk about it. It is a fluid medium that basically fills all space. So anywhere there is empty space, it fills it. And even things that appear solid are actually always imploding it, always pulling it into them as well. So um, where do you want to go from there? <laughs> okay. My head is exploding. I have goosebumps. All right. So because yeah, even when we talk about electrons or atoms, everyone always talks about, yeah, if you blow them up and it's like, I didn't even quite realize the distance. Like, so from like a quarter on the 50 yard line to the outside of the stadium, that is the scale that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And everyone always says, yeah, and it's mostly empty space. AKA ether. So what I'm hearing is there's no such thing. As there's, empty no space. Thing, no. there's no such thing as empty space. No, nope, not at all. Even if you were to try to take, so people are trying to take ether units. We, we, we got to give up the idea of particles even, right? We have to realize that everything is just a vibration, a wave, a fluid, a movement happening and how movements and waves interact. They might feel like solid things like a proton, right? Or like my body, but really everything, if I were to break it down into the smallest, smallest, smallest scale to be able to possibly visualize, everything is still just moving vibrational waves. And so it's how the waves organize themselves and the ether informs the waves and, and we can interact with the ether. So like th this is a, a medium. I want you, it, it's considered a super fluid, right? Meaning a super, the difference between a fluid and a super fluid is that it can move without resistance. Um, so things, so that's why I, uh, that's why it, it well, I'll say it can move without resistance and it is influenced by things like consciousness, focused attention, intention, emotions, those things influence it as does shapes around it. So, um, that's biogeometry, right? That's Dr. Ibrahim Karim's work about how certain shapes can help to organize the ether. It's why pyramids existed. It's why stone circles existed. Because, right? Because those were places that oh. were able to organize this, mm -hmm. what, what has also been called subtle energy, right? Mm -hmm. Subtle just means below the electromagnetic spectrum, organizes a subtle energy for various purposes, healing, um, ancestral communications, right? Depend just depending on the various um, cultures we, we would have studied. And so the ether is the medium through which all of this stuff takes place. And it's because literally not one part of the cosmos is not connected through this fluid. <laughs> I love, I love this. I, I love it. Okay. Okay. Because it's like, I can hear, I can feel everybody listening to this even though they haven't listened yet, I can feel them listening to this going, oh, that's why fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. Like you look, you know, uh, I love the work of Lynn McTaggart, right? She mm -hmm. looks at at intention, um, at meditation, about the power of small groups coming together. And the there are many, many studies on the power of meditation, right? And the results are very clear that there is an effect I was listening to Eileen McCusick with her sound healing and she was telling the story of she's like, I can't do sound healing at a distance. And then she tried it and it totally worked. And she's like, oh, I can do sound, heal sound healing at a distance. The results were clear. So we have all of these very, very clear results that something is happening. And yet it's like, but how? <laughs> but how? And so- you are explaining how. Right, because focused attention. So for example, let's talk about the meditation experiments, I mean, or even lens, right? But the meditation experiments where they had 
uh, groups of, let's say, 100 meditators in a certain specific city or region, how they had them meditate simultaneously about love and peace and harmony, right? And they showed insane reductions in crime. And they did it all times of the year. So it wasn't like summer versus like winter when everyone's inside and it's cold mm -hmm. versus summer. No, they did it multiple times. And it's like, so what, how is it that people thinking, like focusing intently on love and peace, how does that get to people who have no clue that this is going on? How is it influencing? It's because we are always a part of the ether. We're always interacting with it. It's always influencing our body in various ways from gravity. Actually, it's the source of gravity to the fact that it's also, it also can influence things like our consciousness, what we're, what, how, like our decision-making. Um, there still always is free will, but if we can help people want to be in a space of peace, then that might influence what decisions one makes. And so um, so it's this medium, right? It's a very responsive medium. It's fluid, it's always moving, and it's in it has an we have an instantaneous effect. And so having this medium around us, which again, here's the thing too, right? Because as I said before, it's been called God, it's been called Allah, it's been called divine consciousness. And I think what has happened with those words is that they became too they become polarizing for people um you know it's like oh no you have to believe in you have to say my term for it right i can't say your term for it and so that's why i do appreciate the term ether you can call it whatever you want it's not gonna i, I could care less you call it whatever you want but i think we have to understand that i mean this is source energy this is creative energy this is creative consciousness and we have the ability to interact with it influence it, pull it into our bodies for, for health and healing purposes. Um, it's, it's how, it's, it's how people do lucid dreaming. It's how there's near, uh, near death experiences, right? It's, it's through this medium through which all that can explain all of those different circumstances. Okay. Whew. So let's get into what that means. If we accept the idea that there's an ether and we accept the idea that it's uh, a medium through which we are communicating on subtler and subtler levels. So then that explains why our thoughts are so important. That explains why healing trauma is so important. That explains why our ability to emotionally regulate and be in touch with our feelings is so important because all of those things are things. They're not just words. They're sending out a vibration into this ether. Which is, is that accurate? Yeah, it's very accurate. It's very accurate. And I think what's really important about that, especially how we talk to ourselves, is um, a good way. Uh, the universe is fractal, right? And if I can go into that for a second, meaning if I if I have a key, like a keen visualization of something happening at one scale we can recognize that that happens at the big, big, the biggest scale we could possibly imagine and also the tiniest, tiniest scale possible. And the way I like to do that is by um, describing, describing the fact that the ether moves as a toroidal flow. So a torus is like this, you, you, people, you can Google this if you haven't seen it, but a torus is like this donut, this, this, this circuit, this donut that circulates the movement inward and then outward. So it implodes, comes to a point in the middle, and then it expands back out, implodes, expands. That is also the description of the human biofield, right? So that's, that's the description of the human biofield. And so meaning we now know about six feet out from my body, I, I'm in this field of my energy and information, and I'm continually feeding it back into me and then letting it out and feeding it back into me. So if I am all of a sudden saying, Carrie, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're, I'm going to cancel all this out in my field in a second, like all of these things, you know, um, you're worthless, that it's re it, that's why it's reinforcing, right? We hear these things like what you think and what you feel, what you put out comes back to you. That's because what you put out literally goes out into your field and circles right back through you. And because the ether and the information embedded in that, that we just put out there because it touches every cell of my body, every piece of DNA, 
of course it can influence gene expression. Of course it could put my body, my nervous system on the fritz. Of course it can start to drive disease processes because it, depending on the type of energy that I'm putting out and then pulling back into me. So interesting. And so I want to talk for a minute about the role of nature in this, Mm -hmm. because we've both seen, experienced for ourselves and seen with other people that when people start to be intentional and mindful about their light environment and spend more time outside and know where the sun is, have a sense of where the sun is at different times of day and have a sense of how, how nature is nurturing our bodies, we have noticed an increased capacity for intuition, for letting go of, you know, of unhelpful emotions, for getting over things. What what would you say is going on there? I would say, I'm going to say that what it seems like to me is that there's a lot of noise in a modern city, in a modern home, right? From... Um, so let's just say the vibrations, right? The, the if my body is if if my body is continually acting interacting with all of the energy and information that's stored in this fluid, this medium around me, or this medium that's called my environment, um, and it depends like what's the quality of it? It's the difference between a clean fish bowl that the fish is swimming in versus the fish that's swimming in a really muddy, muddy bowl, right? It's, it's still a swimming, it's still moving, it's still doing its thing, but that fish in that really muddy, murky water is not going to thrive compared to that fish that's in this clean, pure water. We got to view that, we got to view our environment in that capacity as well. And that's not just the non-native EMFs. It, of course, it's, it's, of course, it's the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and artificial light, but it's also, like the foreign sounds, you know, like the refrigerator buzzing, the the lights buzzing. It's also the things that we're watching on the TV, the the news that you know, the weather that's always trying to tell you, you know, something bad's gonna happen. <laughs> it's um, it's it's the people we interact with and the words we're saying to each other. It's the thoughts that we have. It's the thoughts that other people are having in our space, right? I don't know, but we've all been in that room where we know someone is thinking some pretty negative, harsh stuff and maybe not saying it out loud, but we can actually feel it. And that's how we feel it because it's the medium that's transmitting it to us. And so um, by getting out into the natural signals, into nature, we are we are basically clearing out the water. We're clearing out the murk. We're getting away from all of those things that just kind of happen to be now a part of modern living. And we're going back into those pure energies that really do sustain us. They really do support us. And then they have a strong enough signal and resonance with the body that the body says, oh, I know what time it is. I know uh, I'm safe. I know I don't have to feel like there's a saber-toothed tiger. Oh, I know that I can pull this energy in and then start some healing processes. Whereas in the modern life, even though it doesn't seem like it, it really is polluted in a way with so much. And it's through the ether that we receive that pollution. I'm not talking about pollution we breathe in. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the pollution that's invisible to us, if you will, in these waves of of information that are just kind of nasty. Wow. And so this brings like a whole other level of power to um, every aspect of our life, really, but particularly our, you know, whether we have a meditation habit, whether we have clear boundaries, whether, you know, we get to choose who we spend our t- most of our time with. Um, and even if if we're strength strong enough, we I would imagine that if even if we do have to be in a toxic situation from time to time or work with people we didn't choose like we we can handle it we have some resilience baked into that right or we could we have such a strong enough field if you will full of love and, and joy and not everything is going to be great right don't get me wrong but we can build up a strong enough field that you can literally keep that stuff away right mm. i am by i am nowhere near as affected by things that I like, I mean, I I was never super reactive to begin with, but like, you know, things would eat at me and bother me. And I think Mm -hmm. of them over like, why did he say that? Or why did she say that? It's so much easier to let things go. Now that I've been doing the circadian practices, the time spent in nature, 
the, you know, how I talked myself, turning off the news, mm -hmm. um, really getting more serious about meditation and different types of meditation, um, being in silence, being a receiver. <laughs> it's through the, it's through the ether that God, angels, spirit guides, collective consciousness can also communicate to us. Right. And so yeah. I feel like it, I feel like sitting in silence has also allowed me to, um, just be a receiver a better receiver of all the, the information that, 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 that they want to share. <laughs> yeah. And I saw something come up about this recently and there's, there's tons and tons of, of examples of this, of people who were highly creative, like Einstein, like all, you know, all of these people who came up with ideas, all of the pioneers in quantum physics, they spent a lot of time just walking around outside. They spent a lot of time like sitting in a boat floating on the lake. Mm -hmm. They spent a lot of time doing, doing what we would say is nothing. Uh, yeah. And not even necessarily formal meditation, but just like kind of like relaxed time, relaxed time with no expectation or structure around it, just to like, ooh. And I I really see how the the structure of our current society does not really give us space to do that. And the more I look at people who've had amazing breakthroughs, they all do that. They all just like, and now I see they're just like hanging out in the ether. <laughs> That's exactly it. They're they're basically getting rid of all the distractions and allowing that the communication to come in and happen. It, what's another fascinating thing about this, right, is that if you kind of look at the history of inventions, the typewriter is one example. You had at different parts of the world at least a half a dozen people working on a prototype of the typewriter at the exact same time in history, right? Within about a five-year span of each other without communicating and knowing what was going on. And so what was that? What was happening? There, There is a pool of information that if we're able to receive it and we're able to pull it and, and, and utilize it, it's there. And so, you know, that's why I also think that we, um, the more that we can kind of get into, like put out this idea of circadian rhythm, right? We're going to reach a critical mass that there's a big pool of it that's stored in the, the records of the ether that's going to start to just permeate. It's just going to be a part of everyone's normal thinking. People are going to, people are going to all of a sudden be like, oh, of course I got to turn off the TV at bedtime. Of course I got to dim my house. You know, it's good. It can start to like feed forward. That's part right. of what, you know, the hundredth monkey experiment or effect or, yeah. um, you know, the morphogenetic fields, the morphogenic fields of Rupert Sheldrake. Like these, these concepts have been around for quite some time, but it's the ether that really truly is the medium for it. And we can be receivers of this and what we put out matters. What we focus our attention on doesn't just stay within us it goes out there as well. So the more we can get other people to maybe turn off something, stop reading something, stop worrying so much about something, you know, it's the more we can, it, the, and get them to do something that they enjoy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that, that helps to strengthen that, that energy that we're all a part of. Yes. And it builds that critical mass in the ether. So it doesn't something that seemed so crazy and weird, like blue blockers. What? It's like, <laughs> Oh, I had some girlfriends call me the other day. They're like, oh, yeah, I just wanted to call. My mom had a question about wearing yellow lenses when she's driving at night. Like, do you know anything about that? I was like, I do. <laughs> like, out of the blue. I know. So it's, it's so happening. funny. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. All right. Okay. I know you have to go. This has just been, you know, mind-blowing, and it opens the door for uh, a scientific basis for so many things that we know in our hearts and our souls and our bodies to be true, uh, but that we didn't have that that scientific explanation for. And we're starting to to be able to have that. It's, it's such a gift. And I just want to share because this image keeps coming in my mind. I was watching the Percy Jackson TV series with my children last night and the, the little boy falls down into the water from a great height and he's stuck and he's he's thrashing around and he's stuck under the water and he's like, oh, and this angelic voice says, just breathe, just breathe. And he realizes, as Poseidon said, and he finally stops thrashing around and starts and realizes he can breathe underwater. And that and I feel like we're that's where we are right now. Like the water, the ether is our water. Mm -hmm. We can breathe. Mm -hmm can breathe totally totally it's exactly so beautiful it, you know? it's beautiful it is beautiful and it's um i don't know what i, what I hope this allows people to do because i think in quantum biology you and i've had some conversations behind the scenes i think in quantum biology it's really easy just to be 
I want to be hardcore science, right? And and other people who are more in maybe the metaphysical, you know, realm of what they what they do with their life and what they study, it's like, oh, but no, it, it's all about the metaphysical. And it's like they're not mutually exclusive. They can exist together. Science and spirituality can exist together. You know, I can believe in so many different things science-wise and still believe in God, right? Or so what ether was source, whatever you want to call it. And it's yeah. it's I really feel like this is a beautiful place to be because it doesn't have to be either or it could be both and you know and and we can start to kind of wrap those teachings into this as well yes and trust ourselves to choose the avenue you know there's so many avenues of healing that we need beyond just the physical uh and now we understand why and how important it is Carrie, thank you so very much this was amazing and i can't wait to share it Thanks for having me, Meredith. And I'm super excited to uh, to answer any questions about this. And we'll see if anything pops up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll circle back. We'll have to do a follow-up in, in a few weeks. Okay. <laughs> this has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.